today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. Jesus does not take these things lightly, and God help us if we take it lightly. Just say this prayer and believe in your heart, and you're fine. No, where is your heart? Are you willing to surrender your life into His care? Have you committed your heart and life to Jesus Christ? Do you know that you're saved? And how do you know you're saved? Well, because 20 years ago I said that prayer. No, that's not how you know you're saved. Paul says, examine yourselves. That's a heavy thing. Examine yourself. See if you are in the faith. No, examine yourself. How do I examine myself? I look at the fruit of my life. I look at the passion of my life, the desires of my life, the focus of my life. We're children of God. When we come to know the Lord, we are adopted into His family. That means that we become royalty. Pastor David is urging us not to take this lightly. He's reminding us that Jesus didn't take it lightly. He took it so seriously that he was put to death in the most excruciating way possible. And he did it without complaint, without pointing out all the stupid things we have done or ever will do. He died knowing exactly who we are. How great is it that our God didn't stay dead but rose again? Well, let's join Pastor David in the book of Revelation chapter 20 with today's edition of The Open Word. As we've shared many times, a prophet speaks of those things near, but more often than not, there is a further declaration, a more complete declaration of his prophecy that's going to be fulfilled. I believe that that's what we see here in Isaiah's prophecy. Though he's prophesying to the children of Israel during his time that God is going to restore him, they were never restored like this. They had never got this good for them. And I believe that, again, this is a prophetic declaration of that thousand-year reign of Christ where all the nations are going to come to him. And there won't be war anymore during that thousand-year reign. There's not going to be war during that time, during that time. Again, in Isaiah chapter 11, beginning in verse 4, we read that, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. See, that sounds like what we read back in chapter 19, when again, Christ shall come, his eyes like a fire of flame, on his head many crowns, the word of God, out of his mouth a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. But Isaiah goes on here. He says, righteousness shall be the belt of his loins, faithfulness the belt of his waist. Verse 6, the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young ones shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like an ox. And the nursing child shall play with the cobra's hole. And the weaned child shall put 
his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Has that happened yet? Not even close. Not even close. This is something that's yet going to happen. So has the Lord prophesied something that that is just spiritualized, or is he prophesying something that thousand years where the peace of God will reign in such a powerful, powerful way that we'll see these kinds of things. Jeremiah speaks the same thing. In Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 5 and 6, we read this. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. Again, speaking of the reigning ruling of Christ. Now we could go on and on and on and on. As a matter of fact, there's over 400 verses that deal with the reigning of Christ in this kind of a format, in this kind of a way, where again, the world is brought into peace, and there's peace that surrounds the land, and Christ is reigning and ruling. It has not happened yet. None of it's been fulfilled yet, but I believe that the time is going to be when we come back to Revelation chapter 20, this thousand years has been there. Satan's been bound for a thousand years. The martyrs have been reigning and ruling with Christ for a thousand years. Now in Revelation 20 verse 7, we read these words. Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. Now you think, now wait a minute. Isn't that confusing? Isn't that what was going on over in chapter 19? Gog and Magog and the battle and everything, what's going on with that? This is another one. What happened in 19 happened before the thousand years. Now we're after the thousand years. Satan has been released. How many people are on the earth at that point in time? We have absolutely no way of knowing other than that one little verse that says, whose number is as the sand of the sea. In a thousand years, how many people could populate the earth at that point in time? And during that time, they will be under the forced rule of Christ. He will rule them with what? A rod of iron. It'll be a forced rule. Everyone will have to bow to him during that time. But when Satan is released, Satan will then rally the troops and in essence say, do you really want to follow him? Come and follow me and we'll take over and we don't have to follow him anymore. So he rallies the troops again. And so they began to build this great army because there's going to be this one last great rebellion. Look at what it says in verse nine. And so they went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints, the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Let me ask you right now, how long was the battle? It never happened. It's kind of like they got there, and before anything happened, it says, then fire came down from God and totally destroyed them. So when we look up in chapter 19, that was a war. There was a battle going on. But in chapter 20, there's no battle. 
they come, they prepare to go against Jerusalem and the thrones that have been set up, going against the rule of Christ. And before it even happens, God sends down fire from heaven and devours them. Verse 10, And the devil, the one who deceived them, was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet already are. And they will be tormented until they are annihilated. Is that what it says? Why do people believe that it is annihilation, that when you die, that it just won't go anymore? When the Bible says, no, there is tormenting, forever and ever, where Jesus says it's a place where the worm does not die. I mean, just this continual torment that's going on there. And that's where the devil is. That's where the beast, that's where the false prophet is. All of these things going on. The battle never begins. The devil's cast in the lake of fire and brimstone, tormented day and night forever, forever, forever. Look at verse 11 through 15. And then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. And the sea even gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Let me stop right there. This isn't the saved now that are coming alive. No, the the saved, when the rapture happened, all those that were saved before that came alive. And then during the tribulation time, those that died during the tribulation, they were resurrected for that thousand year. So the only ones that are still dead, the ones that are still in the grave, are the ones that are outside of the faith, those that are not believers. And so when he's saying all of these came and they were going to be judged by their works, you mean to tell me by works we're saved? No, that's not what he's saying. But it will judge, it will determine the amount of punishment for eternity. And we look at these things. In verse 14 it says, And then death and Hades, death and Hades itself, were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Anyone not found in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And how long does the lake of fire torment? Day and night forever and ever. This is what we call the great white throne judgment. This is the final judgment of the whole earth. But you need to understand who's there. It's the ones that are going to be judged. It's the ones who have died outside of Christ. And any of those that remain alive at this point in time, hey, it's over. It's time for the judgment. Now you're going to stand. And just as when the rapture happens, some are alive when the rapture takes place. Some are going to be alive at this point in time when that judgment comes. Some are going to be dead. Some are going to be alive. But they're all going to stand before Almighty God. There's no martyred saints at this judgment, nor are there any that have died prior to any of these last days' events who were believers. The dead in Christ have already been resurrected. They're already with Christ, either at the point of the rapture or during that thousand-year reign. This is where the passage in Matthew 25 comes into play. 
Remember, this is where Jesus is speaking to them about the end time events in Matthew 25. Move down to verse 31. Jesus speaking here. He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. And all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those in his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was stranger, you took me in. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and fed you, or thirsty and gave you drink? When did we see you a stranger and took you in, or naked and clothed you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. In verse 41, he says, Then he will also say to those on his left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into what? Everlasting fire that was prepared for the devil and his angels, for the devils and the demons. For I was hungry, you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you did not take me in. I was naked, you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. And then they also will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And then he will answer them saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into what? Everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now, I've got to pause here, and you need to understand, Jesus, as he's explaining the end times, he is using this parable, again, of the king, how people were dealing and working within his kingdom while the king was away. The king comes back, and he realizes, you know what, this group of people on the left hand over here, you guys didn't take care of anybody. You guys on the right hand, you guys took care. And so that's what he's speaking, a parable here. So don't get mixed up in saying, well, it's by works that we're saved then or the lack of works that we're not saved. No, you're missing the whole point of it. What he's saying is there are those who are following after the delight and the desire of the king, and there are those who are not. Those who are are his children. They are the ones that are going to enter into eternal life. The ones that are not, the punishment that's there is, as he says, eternal, everlasting punishment that's there. This is also where we look, and in John, in the gospel according to John, chapter 5, just a couple of verses, but you can turn there if you want to. John 5, and it's in verses 28 and 29. And here Jesus is speaking about actually two resurrections. John 5, verse 28 and 29. Jesus says, don't marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life. 
those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Be careful in how you understand this. If you've been a good boy, you got eternal life. If you've been a bad boy, you've got eternal condemnation. It's not about the work situation. He's talking about the difference of people who are his and the people who are not his. The thing that he's talking about here is that there is a resurrection for all of them, for both the good and the evil, for both the saved and the lost. The saved, their resurrection takes them into eternal life. For the lost, their resurrection takes them into eternal punishment. Many are going to be surprised, I think, at the outcome of that judgment. And yet it all boils down to that one question. What have you done with Jesus? What have you done with Christ? Is your name written in that Lamb's book of life? And how does it get there? It gets there by faith and commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Not by saying a prayer that's you know, in the back of your Bible or on a card that somebody gives you. It's not just by the verbalization of following after or parroting somebody's words. It's through a committed life to Jesus Christ. I've surrendered my life to Christ. I've asked him to come and save me from my sin. And I believe not only according to God's word that he is faithful to his promises, but I see in my life that that I am changed, that within me now his spirit testifies with my spirit that I am his child. Your salvation is not, it better not be, I hope and pray that it is not based on the fact that 20 years ago or five years ago or even six weeks ago, you puppeted a prayer or a phrase from somebody or something or from radio or television or the back of a book or anything. Beloved, that may have been the beginning of it, but it's got to be something that comes from the very core of who you are. Jesus does not take these things lightly, and God help us if we take it lightly. Just say this prayer and believe in your heart and you're fine. No, where is your heart? Are you willing to surrender your life into his care? Have you committed your heart and life to Jesus Christ? Do you know that you're saved? And how do you know you're saved? Well, because 20 years ago I said that prayer. No, that's not how you know you're saved. Paul says, examine yourselves. That's a heavy thing. Examine yourself. See if you are in the faith. No, examine yourself. How do I examine myself? I look at the fruit of my life. I look at the passion of my life, the desires of my life, the focus of my life. Am I just an observer sitting on the outside? Or am I actually a participant in the kingdom of God? Because, beloved, if you know within the heart of hearts of your life that you are not a participant with the kingdom of God, you need to get right before God. And I say that with all seriousness, knowing the time, that these are the last days. And there's going to be a lot of people in the visible church that are going to be, if I can coin a phrase, left behind. Why? Because salvation was the mimicking of a words rather than the commitment of a life. Jesus says you've got to be willing to die daily. You've got to be willing to lay it all down and follow me. Verse 15 there says, anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Same lake of fire that was prepared for Satan and the beast and the false prophet and all of the demons. The lake of fire where there's tormenting day and night forever and ever. 
John Walvoord, a Bible teacher and commentator, says, there'd be no way possible in the Greek language to state more emphatically the everlasting punishment of the lost than there is here in mentioning both day and night. And the expression there forever and ever literally is to the ages of ages. Pretty powerful. Although we as believers, we don't stand at that great white throne of judgment, we are going to stand at a judgment seat. It's the Bema seat. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. It's not a judgment as to whether or not we're saved, but it's a judgment that only the saved go to. And it's a judgment that looks at what we've done with our lives. I say that I'm saved, but what have I really done with my life? How have I lived for the kingdom? In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, it says, For we, that's Paul speaking to believers, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. No, not this white judgment seat, no. The other one, the Bema seat. That each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he's done, whether it's good or bad. You mean me as a believer, I could be doing bad things? You know what? You could be doing good things that are really bad things. There's a lot of good things we can do, but if we're not following what God has called us to do, isn't that really a bad thing? Still, in 1 Corinthians, he talks about this wood, hay, or stubble, gold, silver, precious stone, works of our flesh versus works of the Spirit. Paul writes in verse 13 of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test, and he's speaking to believers. And he says, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he'll receive a reward. But if anyone's work is burned up, that wood, hay, and stubble, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved though as by fire. The things that you're doing in your life, daily in your life, you got to stop and consider, is this just wood, hay, and stubble? Or is this gold, silver, and precious stone? Am I doing this for the glory of God or for my own glory? Am I doing it for the accolades of man because I get so tired patting my own back? I want to have somebody else pat my back for me. Or am I doing it whether anybody sees me or knows anything about it? I just want to be found faithful. You know the most interesting thing and the thing that weighs on me quite often? There's a whole lot of stuff. and I'm just being out front with you here. There's a whole lot of stuff that I, as a pastor, have done in 23 years being senior pastor here that's probably going to go foof. You know what? Because it was done with the wrong heart, wrong attitude, wrong purpose maybe even the wrong time. Maybe it was a good thing, but was it God's thing? I, I know. Believe me, I know. It's just going to go foof. And there's going to be some that are part of this body that maybe nobody even knows their name. And all that they're going to have is gold, silver, and precious stone. Because their heart was the Lord's. The 
letters to the churches found in Revelation 2 and 3 repeat the phrase, to the one who overcomes, followed with a promise centered in God's goodness to his people. What does overcoming look like for you today? Maybe it's just getting up in the morning, getting dressed, and going out into life. Maybe it's continuing to sing his praises even through a tough circumstance. Maybe overcoming today is holding on to that small hope that tomorrow can be a better day in your marriage. Take some time today to check out those promises, remembering to hold on to Jesus because he is our hope. We're so glad you tuned in today to The Open Word. We know that life is tough, but doing life in community can make even the hardest situation more bearable. With that in mind, here's Pastor David with an invitation for you. Hey, if you're in the Casa Grande area and you're looking for a church to attend, I'd love to have you join us here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. We meet Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. At 6.30 p.m., we meet on Wednesday evenings and Saturday evenings. You can find directions and a little more about the church by visiting theopenword.com. Follow the links at the bottom of the page to Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. I'm excited to have you be a part of our time of Bible study and fellowship. Our website, one more time, is theopenword.com. Information about the church is at the bottom of that page, the link for Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. Thanks, Pastor David. With that, our time with you has come to an end. Pastor David still has much to share, though, so be sure to tune in again to continue walking verse by verse through Revelation. That's right here on The Open Word. Make-